1: Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety, I'm your host Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor AKG for sending us their podcast essentials kit. It's got a wonderful Lyra mic and an incredible set of headphones. Mark Farner, formerly of Grand Funk Railroad, and currently heading Mark Farner's American Band, is our guest today. His extensive career began after a football injury and learning a great technique for conditioning his brain to sing and play guitar at the same time after his time and other bands were over, Mark co-founded Grand Funk Railroad and had a harrowing trip to their first gig at the Atlanta International Pop Festival, opening for uh, Janis Joplin, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Sly and the Family Stone, and Led Zeppelin on their first gig. Mark also worked in the studio with Todd Rundgren and Frank Zappa and tells us how different those experiences were. Oh, and he died twice. He's very candid about the issues he's had in the past with Grand Funk Railroad and how that led him to technically suing himself. He also tells me what a peener is. And he has a new live DVD out. And it helps support the Veterans Support Foundation. So go to markfarner.com for all the info. And to find upcoming tour dates. Yes, actual tour dates. Follow us at Performance ANX on social media. And if you like the show, you can send coffee our way at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Shirts, mugs. Shower curtains and more are available at performanceanx.threadless.com. So put your dinner on hold because I did. Mark Farner is that good. Right here on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
0: Hi, this is Mark Farner with a K. Mark with a K. And I'm on with Mark with a C for Performance Anxiety. Can you
1: dig it? Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I really appreciate this. My pleasure. I'm not even sure where to begin because (laughs) there's so much career here. (laughs) (sighs) So I do want to say that, uh, you know, congratulations over 40 years of marriage. That sounds like a great place to start for me. Yeah, man. 43 years. My wife and I in October will be married 20. So we're, we're halfway there. So it's worth, it's it, worth it. It is, it is, man. I, you know, I, I, I look at stuff nowadays and I'm like, oh my, like, thank God I found my wife. Holy crow.
0: Man, I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> I call her my better three quarters. Oh, that's the
1: truth right there.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: I know that feeling. <laughs> so... I know a bit about you from doing the research and all, but I want to know, you know, to better understand where you are now, we got to go back to the beginning. And I'm sure I'm going to be asking you questions that you've been asked, you know, thousands of times at this point, but... Matters not. I'll answer them a thousand more times. <laughs> Excellent. All right, man. Well, I appreciate that. I'll try to to keep it interesting for you. I know it's it's uh, it's it's not always easy to to recount the same story. So I'm going to try to find some new new things to ask you. All right. We'll see well, how I'll good I do. For it, yeah. All right, you can critique me at the end. So, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's something I should do on the podcast. I get a, have the guests ah. critique me at the end every episode. How did I do? <laughs> so, I did read about your parents. I want you to brag on your parents a little bit because from what I have read, they were just amazing. So uh, please b- brag on your parents a little bit.
0: Well, my father was a World War II veteran, a tank driver in the 7th Armored Division. And he made it through four major battles. He came home with four bronze stars. Wow. My mother was the first woman in the United States to weld on Sherman tanks at Fisher Body in Flint, Michigan, and that was, uh, of course, the tanks that our boys were driving were the were the uh, Shermans. Yeah, and they were, they were outgunned and uh, outmatched by the Panzers. Yep. Uh, and it would take three Sherman tanks to take out one Panzer, but by golly, they did it.
1: Yep. Yes, they did. <laughs> And I, I got to give you my dad was armor uh, in in Vietnam. Well, he he uh, he was a little late there. The, the war ended just as he was actually being called to to getting his orders to go over. So, you know, God blessed us. God
0: Bless him, man. Yeah, yeah man. And you, buddy.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was my dad was first armor. He was hell on wheels. <laughs> so, and you're part Cherokee as well, right? Yeah.
0: Yes. My great
1: grandmother was full blood. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And my wife is, is, I'm not sure exactly what I'm not. She's from Alabama. So she told me at one point, but, uh, I can't remember. She's going to kill me when she hears this, So I can't remember what it is. (laughs) And uh, they're all eating dinner in the other room and staring at me right now. So yeah, Uh, I'm going to get it after this. Uh huh. So, all right, so let's go back to where we, where we <laughs> were. <laughs> you were an athlete before you were a musician. Yes. So what was your, what was your sport of choice or did you have one? Were you just an all around athlete?
0: Football, but I ran track too. Ah. And uh, did the broad jump and the high jump and, uh, um, and ran a hundred yard dash, you know? Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: Did you have any and- interest in music? At that time, that was like what high school or,
0: yeah, okay, high school. But uh, it was ninth grade, and uh, I was on the JV team, the junior varsity team, and we scrimmaged uh, the varsity team, and they kicked our ass, dude. (laughs) 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 I had water on the knee and a fractured finger, and uh, thank God it was on my right hand. Uh, I could still pick you know yeah (laughs) so uh, the teacher told my mother or the doctor told my mother that uh, I would no longer be able to play football or run track and you know not this year he says it's because he's too messed up so she felt sorry for me and she got me six lessons and rented an acoustic guitar it was a k flat top okay and it would have been a better uh bow and arrow set i mean <laughs> the springs were this far away you could have used it you know? <laughs> but, but uh after three lessons he had shot himself in the foot it was oh,
1: like literally shot himself in the foot
0: yeah, with a 12 gauge shotgun it was ring neck pheasant season in michigan it opened on october 20th back then and he went out and shot himself in the foot and told my mother that I was just going to have to get uh, on with uh, the band that was in high school where my sister uh, w- would hang out with these kids. Of course, she was 17 months older than me, and I'll never let her forget it either. But
1: right?
0: are <laughs> <laughs> a good brother. Yeah. And her friends played music, and uh, but they didn't like to sing. and I, And I like to sing. And, and uh, I was learning the chords from those guys, and that's kind of how it started for me. But before that, it, it was in my house every weekend. As a kid growing up, uh, we had jam sessions because when my mother moved from Leechville, Arkansas, the whole fam damnly came north and everybody got jobs in the auto factories. Uh, okay. And every Sunday, there'd be a jam session, violins, uh, banjo, guitar. My dad blew saxophone, all the women sang, and it was the most beautiful music. And we were spoiled of that music every Sunday, either at our house uh, or my Aunt Dorothy's, my my mother's sister's house. And okay. yeah, we'd have us a hold down and we'd have some Southern fried chicken and hockey puck dumplings uh- <laughs> or, or sloppy joe's. Oh <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: man. Oh uh, <laughs> between you're talking and everybody bringing dinner over here. I'm starving. There's going to have to wait though. Yep.
2: God.
0: <laughs> It'll be worth it. Mark. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know it. I know it. When did you really start playing it with bands and, and, deciding you wanted to do this professionally or how long of a gap and who are you playing with?
0: Well, I was, uh, I was in summer school I was having to make up some credit because uh I got uh, expelled from the school for punching a teacher in the eye. Oh wow. Yeah, but it was it was a self-defense kind of thing. Yeah, he used to be the football coach, or he was a football coach. And when I was playing football, the team the our team was undefeated. Yeah. The the guys that I hung with, but when I quit playing ball, Uh, about half the team quit and this teacher kind of blamed it on me thought I was a ringleader or something I don't know (laughs) what goes through their minds (laughs) (laughs) but uh, uh, the holy rosary the the kids from holy rosary spent uh, the last half of the day at our high school at Kersley high school and uh, the bus got there around noon and the kids were getting off the bus and this teacher who was a football uh coach says hey farner move your boys because uh, i had you know f- friends we were all gathered around this heater okay uh so j- just for the heat of it because you know it's winter yeah. and uh, and this guy uh comes over and he says i told you to move i said these are not my boys and just as i'm telling him they're not my boys he grabs me by the the shirt like this and throws me up against the wall while my head ricocheted off this brass picture frame of the superintendent of schools. And I, I reached back and I felt wetness and, and he's got me like this. And, and I looked at the blood on my hand and I just, I let him have it. Boom, down he went. Wow. And, uh, and he was getting up and throwing haymakers at me, but I unzipped his eyebrow and the thing fell down over his eye and he was having a hard time seeing. Yeah. It just, yeah. He needed some stitches, but I, I was ducking his haymakers. If he would ever hit me with one of those haymakers, he'd have (laughs) probably, you know, knocked me through the wall, but he was missing. And I was, every time I duck, I'm, I'm coming back up thinking, should I hit him again? <laughs> yeah. And I drove back and I'm going to nail him this next time. And my buddy grabs my arm, and goes, Farner, you idiot, stop. <laughs> he says, wow. You're in trouble already, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, wow. Yeah. Then, uh, and so I had to go uh, to summer school. And I was telling my mom's stepdad one night, I said, You know, it's night school and that's when I normally go and play and I've been making my money playing music and this is really hurting my style It's cramping my style and I said I would go ahead and do this school if you want me to do it you know but right for me I would rather be making the money and learning more about my instrument and getting better at it you know yeah and and they said, this is good. You just do what your heart's telling you to do. Wow. Yeah, I was lucky.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Man, I, I don't think my parents would have been that supportive of me if I had been in that situation. Uh, That's, they'd have been like, nope, you buckle your ass down and get back to school. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so is that when you were playing with uh, Terry Knight in the pack, or was that before
0: it was before okay it was before and uh, in fact it was just after I had uh, I'd left the bossman that uh, I started playing bass with Terry Knight in the pack.
1: Never take the time to call. You own seven motorcycles that ain't been on the road at all. You keep twelve airplanes that ain't had time. And I guess. I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this because <laughs> now you guys fired Terry, right? It was, is that, was that what actually, what happened? Cause I'm not like, yeah. I'm a little unclear on, on what happened there.
0: As far as the group, Terry in the pack, Terry Knight in the pack. Yeah. Yes. We fired him because between Don and I, we were doing more singing than he was. And we were doing a better job of it. Wow. Okay. And uh, and we we just said between ourselves, yeah, well, let's let's make this break. But Terry then moved to New York City and made contacts there that were essential for us getting that first gig at the Atlanta Pop Festival, nineteen
1: sixty nine. So so you're playing as uh, was they turned into the Fabulous Pack after that, right?
0: Yes, the Fabulous
1: Pack. And was that. Uh was that a covers was that original was it a mix
0: it was it was cover tunes okay Uh, yeah we uh we did uh it's a beautiful morning you know (laughs) songs like that and did things where, where people could get out on the dance floor and boogie and uh it, yeah, it worked for us. Yeah, you, you got to play... You with, and You know, all you the people play,
1: would come out. <laughs> yeah, you got to play what the people want to hear, get them out on the dance floor, right? That's right, dude. All right. When did you start writing your own music? When I was
0: just uh, leaving the Bossman, uh, Dick Wagner, uh, I was in his apartment one night, and this was after a gig that we had played, and then we drove back to Saginaw to his place. It's about two or three o'clock in the morning and we're playing our electric guitars without being plugged in. And, you know, they're very soft right. and we're be- being soft. And he's showing me some chord inversions because I'm, I'm the, the perpetual student. I'm learning all the time. So he's showing me and I, I enjoyed playing music with him because he was such a pro and such so confident in what he did. And, and he wrote all these songs. I said, Wagner, you have written all, you know, hundreds of songs and and I love the way you write. He said, I said, but you know, you just, what do you got, a well that you're dipping into? And he says, no, dude, he says, you got that in you. And I said, I do? And he says, yeah, man. He says, you got a creative spark and you you can write music. I said, I can? Okay, cool. <laughs> so I stayed up, he went to bed, I stayed up and I wrote Heartbreaker that night. Wow. Yeah, man.
1: I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I want to come back to some stuff, but that wasn't on Grand Funk's first album. That one ended up on the second LP. Why, so why was there a delay in putting that on the LP?
0: Well, it, it was just the songs that we wanted to come across with, and we wanted to come across with more uh, up-tempo stuff.
1: Okay. Yeah. That makes um, makes total sense. And I know that you and, and Don... We're in, uh, you know, we're playing with Terry Clark in the pack. And How did you meet uh, Mel? How did, he's from Question Mark and the Sterions, right? Yes. Okay, so how, how did you guys, how did you meet up with him?
0: Well, Mel and I went to school together. Okay. We rode dirt bikes together. <laughs> we smoked pot together. We did all those boy things, right. you know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we played music together. And he was a heck of a bass player. And they, uh, question mark and the Mysterians were practicing up at the Delta Promotions in Bay City, where Don and I were sitting in the waiting room, uh, waiting to get in to talk with uh, George Kehoe, the guy who was uh, running the, the show. Okay, and um, and we heard through the wall because it's a rehearsal facility, we heard the bass, you know, the you can always hear that low end. Oh, and yeah. I said, Whoever playing that bass right there brewer that that boy can play bass so when they took a break mel walks out and i went oh shit it's mel (laughs) i told him i said dude man we are putting together a three-piece band we're gonna put together a three-piece band and we don't want anybody that's married in the band and uh so because of the last band got broke up by the two guys wives that were married, they they threatened to divorce the, the keyboard player and the and the guitar player oh, wow. because we were two weeks late getting home from Boston area.
1: Oh wow <laughs>
0: Yeah really late Yeah that's and, that's late. Yeah and there was no cell phones. Nope. Uh, <laughs> no they were wondering if we were dead or alive. God.
1: Yeah wow
0: yeah. So Mel agreed to, he, because he was ready to leave? Question mark on the Mysterious. I guess he had wrecked one of the vans or something <laughs> and uh, he needed to just make a clean break. He needed
2: to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> so the band was always uh, designed to be a three piece then? Yes. When, now, when did you start? I know you, you started singing after. You guys fired Terry, but were you singing beforehand? Was singing always something that you did?
0: Uh, we sang background and, and then, uh, there's a couple of songs in the set that I would sing.
1: Okay. But yeah. growing up when you were learning to play guitar, was that something that you always that you were interested in doing when you were just getting into music?
0: Not until I hurt myself and couldn't okay. play any more ball. Cause I, I loved to hear my name called out on that loudspeaker, dude. <laughs>
1: yeah, who doesn't?
0: Yeah, man. That was Farner number 66 in on the tackle. <laughs> I'd be prancing, man. i just, ooh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you started singing and playing guitar at the same time, Then that's pretty impressive.
0: Well, it was a little bit of a task at first because, you know, singing uh, one rhythm and playing another rhythm. I was having a hard time with that. And I was asking my uncle Woody, did he know anything that would help me, uh, in, you know, getting past that, that barrier. And he says, yes. He said, sit down right there across the table. I'm in his dining room. He, I said it. And he puts a newspaper across the table from me So I have to read it upside down and backwards. He said, I want you to read this, just the large print, just the the headings on these paragraphs. I just want you to read the block letters like that, but I want you to read every page. You get done with that one, turn the next one. Read this entire paper that way. And then he says, and do it one more time, just two times through that and let me know when you're done. So I did. And I was getting, man, I could just zip right along, yeah. man. I started, you know, because it takes using your right and left hemisphere to switch that shit around. Yeah. And that's what it takes to get you to sing one rhythm and play another. And I didn't realize wow. until, until my uncle Woody said, okay, come over here. He put a J45 Gibson in my hand, his, his guitar. Nice. He says, "Now play that song because I was having uh, trouble with uh, Nadine." The song Nadine. Oh yeah. I yeah. said, "I can play it, but I and I can sing it, but I can't play it and sing it." But man, I sat down, dude. I played and sang that song, and I went, "Holy shit, I've got it! I've got it!" <laughs> and and I've been reading the newspaper upside down and backwards ever since. <laughs> And looking in my rearview mirror, man, you know, you're seeing stuff backwards. I'm always reading it, just staying brushed up on it because that was an important part, dude, of me crossing over and getting over that hurdle to be able to achieve uh, the success that we achieved.
1: That's really, I never would have thought of that trick to gain that skill. That's amazing to me. Yeah. That's brilliant.
0: Country. Country trick. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, those are the best. Man. And it worked. And I know this is a story that, that a lot of people know. And there goes my dog. Somebody has parked right in front of my house, and my dog is going ape shit right now. So this is good. That's part of their job, dude. Yeah. Oh, I am not mad at him. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> good good boy, Hammond. Right, now they drew, I don't know I don't know what the hell they were doing. Now they just zoomed off. All right well I, that's that's weird all right well if, if we suddenly go dark, you know why um, <laughs> somebody was somebody was talking to me all right, the band name Grand Funk Railroad. How did that come about?: There's an actual railway system that
0: runs through uh Ontario, Canada, Michigan, and Ohio, and it is called the Grand Trunk and Western Railroad uh, so it's just a play off the name Grand Trunk and Western. Okay. So Terry wrote a song Grand Funk Railroad. He said, "Why don't you guys name your band the name of my song, Grand Funk Railroad?" We said, "Okay." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just so awesome. This is the this is where things get so interesting for me because it, it seems throughout the entire history of the the band it's more like the grand funk roller coaster because oh yeah there's just <laughs> so terry gets fired and then you guys play for a little while then you start this other band then terry's back in the picture as a as a manager yes that's i mean you guys are must be the nicest guys on the, or at least You at this point, you must be like the nicest guy on the planet. (laughs) How did he get back into the picture? I mean, was it, did you guys approach him or did he approach you? Don Brewer kept in
0: contact with him. And because he had those attorneys there in New York City that were doing the legal work for the Atlanta Pop Festival, Uh, he figured it was a way of getting his band on that bill. And so they made them um, a special offer of uh, reduced rate on their legal fee if if this unknown band from Michigan could open the show, you know. Okay. So and we, nobody had ever heard of Grand Funk Railroad before, and we didn't have any records. We were just a garage band from Flint, Michigan, who got this lucky break, dude. That uh, those attorneys were doing the legal work, and after our extravaganza from uh, Michigan to Atlanta, Georgia, with our, with our friends borrowed window van. He had a Chevy window van with a six cylinder. In it. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he lend us his driver, Jimmy, and we took all the equipment in a U-Haul trailer headed to Florida. And this is before I seventy five was finished. Oh So God. we had to take back roads. Yeah. And we're going along, and it's and it's just breaking daylight, and my eyes are opening up, and I'm I'm looking up, and I see the sign says I seventy five and a big arrow to the right. I said, "Hey Jimmy, I seventy five goes to the." And he, he just turned really hard and <sighs> rolled that trailer down through the ditch with our equipment in it. Oh my God! Um, we had to open the drawers on that trailer, unload all the equipment, and then write the thing, put it back on its wheels, and then we put all the equipment back in there. We're kind of nursing it down the road and uh, a little faster, a little faster because we're on the shoulder of the road. We didn't want to take any chances. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this tire passes us. Wow. I mean... The wheel came off on the driver's side came off that trailer and passed us. Oh my gosh. And so we had to run over and and retrieve that wheel and we took two lug nuts off the other side to hold it on to, we got it threaded back on there and we just creeped down the edge of the expressway to the next <laughs> exit, which just happened to have U Haul trailers. Oh. So we creeped that sucker in wow. and got another one and w- was pedal to the metal all the way to Atlanta. And then when we got there, uh, we had to assess the damage that was done to the equipment yeah. when it rolled and there was a lot of damage. The transformers had ripped completely off the chassis of the amplifiers oh. and the wires were severed. The When we got there to Atlanta, and this is what was cool about that time, Mark, it was not just our two roadies putting shit together. It was roadies from every band that was there. They went, Oh man, they need help. Look, their shit's falling apart. You know? So they got us on that stage. And, and I just, I really feel like the community that we had back then that it scared people because we were doing something with it and we were having a good time and there was a lot of us. And, uh, but it was all about the love, peace and love, man. It wasn't about anything else, about, you know, killing somebody or, you know, yeah. some violent shit. It was all peace and love, man. So to watch that, that was part of my education, you know, that when they you know, down and you think, oh, my God, how are we ever going to do this, man? Don't give up because, you know, these angels show up and they start soldering shit
1: back together. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. That was a hell of a show. I mean, all right, first of all, you guys, it's just, this was your first show ever, right? Yes. Since it's Grand Funk Railroad, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Janis Joplin, Led Zeppelin, Paul Butterfield, Johnny Winter, I mean, oh my... Ten years after. Ten year, and this was a 69... So, so, so many of these bands and artists are still in their infancy. That was an, that had to be an incredible atmosphere. Sly and the
0: Family Stone. Yeah, dude. Oh,
1: (laughs) God. Yeah. That's, that just blows my mind. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it blew my
1: mind, buddy. So you guys play your set and it's, from my understanding, you know, it, it was amazing. You know, it was like. They
0: didn't want us to leave the stage, Mark. (sighs) They really didn't want us to go any place. The whole place got up and was dancing. That's awesome. 185,000 people were dancing. And we we were rocking that place. So uh, they moved us. The next day, we went on at like 7 p.m. And then the last night, we went on at 11 under the lights and the people just man they loved us
1: the sound off that first album and i'm imagining the in the the very f- first gig you're going is a huge shift from the pack i mean you got you've got like this blue cheer meets black sabbath sound going on the, on that first lp and it's incredible was there a progression in that sound or did you just guys just like look this is what's coming up this is this is the sound i want i, I want to go completely Heavy, something um, totally different. Or was there a, a gradual progression as you were forming Grand Funk Railroad?
0: Well, the amplifiers that we used, the West amps, were made in Flint, Michigan. Okay. And before we were Grand Funk Railroad, I worked at West Labs, gluing cabinets together, putting fabric on, Building amplifiers, soldering traces on the circuit boards, oh wow uh, and you know, I knew about these amplifiers, and every time that we would have a break, we'd get a like a fifteen minute break every two hours the All the guys immediately rushed over and grabbed guitars, and we'd start jamming, oh wow. For, yeah, for fifteen minutes, it's a solid fifteen minute jam. Boom, back to work. That's <laughs> and crazy. I love that. It was really good for the our morale. Well, it made us want to work more. Yeah, because I wanted one of those amps, and you know, I wanted to take it home and have me an amp with two fifteen inch JBL D one thirty speakers in it, and, and I got it with a West Grandy head. And, uh, it was badass. I, the, the messenger guitar that I used, uh, that is setting behind me on the Leslie back here. Oh, okay. That messenger, I traded, um, uh, this guy who was a sun amplifier representative, Bill Eberline. I traded him a mini bike with a three and a half horse Briggs and Stratton on it. <laughs> <with> that guitar. <laughs>
1: That's a pretty good investment right there.
0: Yeah. yeah. He wanted that mini bike in a bad way.
1: <laughs> and you ended up with a, starting an amazing career with that guitar. I that worked yep. out for you pretty well.
0: It worked out good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you guys had an incredible string of, of, of writing and album. I mean, you had... Two albums come out in 69. Uh, let's see. Uh, so two, two studio albums in 69, a studio and a live album in 70. Two studio albums in 71, one in 72, one in 73, and two in 74. That's exhausting for me just to say. Did you guys, I mean, did you feel that incredible pace? or, or Did you realize how prolific that was at the time? Or were you just playing and writing and just, let's just put it down when we can.
0: Yeah, that's it. We did not have a clue as, as to how prolific that was, but it was coming, man. Every time I needed a song, it would just be there. Wow. And, uh, pr- I prayed for I'm Your Captain. I prayed uh, my Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep prayers, mm-hmm. and I put a PS on the end of my prayer, and I asked God to give me a song that would reach and touch the hearts of those that the Creator wanted to get to. and I wrote the words in the middle of the night, but I'm always writing words i I wake up and write words all the time if they're not necessarily songs okay so i I just kind of went back to sleep, but I attained this state of consciousness that's somewhere between heaven and earth and it's a suspended animation that we're in in that conscious state. And uh I just wrote I if you tried to go back to the start and read it all over again, you'd screw it all up. You gotta just stay where you're at and keep writing. Okay. And and I so I did and I finished that thing and I felt like when I was done, I felt, oh now I can sleep my ass off. <laughs> <I put> t- <laughs> no. I go back to sleep <laughs> and I get up in the morning, I go up ha- having coffee, I'm looking out at the horses in the pasture and, and I grab my guitar out of the corner of the kitchen and I'm sitting there playing. I do. I went, wow, what the heck is that? That's very cool, that lick. And then I, I grabbed this C chord, this this inversion that I'd, I'd never played this. And I just was studying my hand. I'm going, wow, Okay, it's that one, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I don't want to lose this because it's chiming and it's, it's sounding beautiful to me. And, I, and just as I'm looking at my hand, I went, Oh, those words. Maybe that's a song in the other room. And I went and grabbed those words, brought them in. I sat down. I just started playing the song and I sang it the way it went down. I didn't change one word. Wow. I, I sang it the way I wrote it. And uh, as we went into to uh, the Upbeat show in Cleveland, Ohio, Tommy Baker, who was the band leader for the Upbeat show, heard me playing the song as I was playing it for one of the gals there. And I said, and it goes like this. And he goes, man, that's a beautiful song. He says, are you going to record that? <clears throat> and I said, yes, we are. We're going to go in next week at Cleveland Recording and put it down. And he says, man, when you get to that refrain on the end, just keep going and going and going and going over and over and over. And when you think you can't go another round, do 10 more, please. And, <laughs> and that'll give me enough time to put what I'm hearing. Cause I'm hearing very beautiful shit, man. And when Tommy Baker said he was hearing beautiful shit, he, I believed him, man, this guy was, this guy was a, a top musician. Wow. And, And he ended up writing all of that orchestration for closer to home and loneliness. I saw James Brown fire his trumpet player on the spot because he blew a clam in this TV show. Yeah. And Tommy Baker's over there. And, and James said, Tommy, come here, play this part. Can you play that part? He said, yes, Mr. Brown, I can play that part. He went over there and he blew it solid, man.
1: Oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. man. Oh, yeah. wow. See, I, I love stories like that. This is just amazing. Right on. It's the real deal. So how often were you guys touring? I mean, was it, it sounds like you were touring constantly. All the time.
0: If we weren't in the studio recording, we were on the road playing music. Wow.
1: And unfortunately you guys ended up getting screwed with a contract. I mean, from what I understand, you and and CCR are like two of the, like the cautionary tales to, to tell young musicians to, to pay attention to. Yeah. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the
0: the biggest mistake that most musicians make is we put our trust in people that because we haven't been in business, we don't know um, the business and and enough to know that we need to have someone who represents us that does not even know who that manager is or his attorneys Yeah. can't even be related and then you can have a good relationship. Yeah. But if there's any kind of knowledge like that, it's bad. It's going to go sour every time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, it's, it's a shame. I mean, you got your kids, you know, what are, you, know, what are you going to do? You, you trusted people.
0: Yep. Um, I still do Mark. And I'm okay. not going to stop awesome. just because I got screwed by a bunch of assholes. I mean, seriously, it's not on me. No. Uh, it's on them. Yeah. it's on. Yeah, man, I set myself free. I won't let that be a, a thing with me.
1: Good. Oh, man. Because I, I heard, and, and tell me if this is true, that at one point they, they even tried to confiscate your gear before a show?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was at Madison Square Garden. Oh, my God. We were doing three nights sold out. And we, we raised a bunch of money for the Phoenix House organization, New York City, which was a drug rehab place that uh, we went over and paid them a visit and saw what they were doing. And we said, yes, we wanna be involved with it. We wanna help you start more Phoenix Houses. And with the, with the money from the concerts, they started seven more Phoenix Houses in New York City. Oh wow really helped and i'm proud of that that we were able to help hundreds of people to get off the shit
1: oh that's wonderful that's
0: those those uh the the deputies and those attorneys who showed up at madison square garden to confiscate our equipment as soon as they said they were gonna take the equipment. They were confiscating it. Our roadies, who looked like Vikings, I kid you not, <laughs> walked over and they're looking down at these cops, and and our guys are just like, "You said what? You're going? Hey, you're going off this stage right now. These boys are playing a charity for Phoenix House. You assholes, get out of here!" <laughs> <laughs> and they they did. They just quietly left the stage. Yeah. And then after our gig, they confiscated the equipment.
1: <laughs> God. You have these, this wild sounds that, that come out of your guitar and the, on these albums. What kind of effects are you using at this time? Cause you, you've got this craziness going on. And I, I can, the example that I wanted to pull out is locomotion because that song it's been around before, when you guys recorded it it had already been around for a long time yes and you just breathe this whole new life into it and got this amazing solo out of it that's just bonkers
0: yeah.
1: hell's going on with that it
0: is this what happens when you're doing your solo and Todd Rundgren walks out into the studio <laughs> and he walks over to the echoplex and grabs the tape head and starts going from <laughs> one end to the other back and <laughs> forth and he's got this wild ass look in his eyes brother and he's going ah, ah, <laughs> as the guitar is eating itself you <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy but you know yeah. you've also do some really cool stuff like these great volume swells I, I, I love that this it's unique i really haven't heard too much like that before or since it's just it sounds it, i mean it sounds like you it's it's incredible thank you how is it different working with uh rundgren and frank zappa because I imagine those two guys are completely different in the studio.
0: Yes, yeah. Ron was—he would kick his feet back, you know, up on the console. He'd lean back. He—he's reading the book. We're out there pouring our hearts out into the song. He's like reading, and you know, he, every once in a while he'd look out. Okay, you got. Yeah, you guys are doing good? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And he, whatever he did, it was just a natural inclination. I asked him one time in the studio, I said, uh, that guitar that's in the right side, I said, it needs, to me, it needs a little like 3.5K added to it just to cut that that high mid. And he says, Okay, but let me show you something, Mark. He says, instead of adding 3.5K to, so that you can hear it, let's solo the guitar. Now let's pull down the frequencies that are preventing you from hearing it. This way, you're not introducing more noise to that mix. Wow. Because more gain, more noise yep. every time. And man, I... It was like bingo. The light went on and went. Oh yeah!
1: Thank you, Todd Rundgren. Really, I appreciate that. That's like learning how to read the newspaper upside down and backwards. Yes, sir, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 then the, the band breaks up and you make a solo album, which is really cool. I like that solo album a lot. Going, I listened to it for the. I'll be honest with you. For the first time this week, and I I really enjoyed it. All right. <laughs> one solo album come out in 77 but then the band reunited right i had one in 77 one in 78 okay and we we
0: reunited in 81.
1: okay okay so this is what i'm saying about how it's like the roller coaster because it's yeah that that didn't how long did that last it didn't seem to last very long that reunion did it
0: no because our well one reason is our manager died andy cavalieri died in his new york city apartment he was painting a, an old antique bed that he had purchased and uh, his brother walked in there and there he was with a paintbrush still in his hand laying next to the bed wow gone. oh my yeah. gosh and i was in hong kong at the time i was doing some uh, promotions for pv musical instrument uh, corporation. And uh, we were doing, you know, all around the world, we were doing clinics in, in uh, Japan and Singapore and uh, Hong Kong. We were, we were just getting ready to move to Australia with this whole thing when we got the news that Andy had died. And then, of course, I had to cut my trip short and uh, come home. And we tried to get uh, everything that pertained to Grand Funk from the executor of the estate who wouldn't give us shit. It wouldn't give us nothing at all. I'm telling you, it was just like, oh man. Every time we turned, somebody's smacking us with a sledgehammer. So we just said, okay, let that go. You know, the band's breaking up. So until 96, we were on our own and you know, I was touring and doing my thing. And I don't know what they were doing, but, uh, we got back together in 96. We were supposed to be together for two years before I would go back. And, uh, uh I would do two years of just nothing, but grand funk. Okay. But then after that, I told them I'm going to do my own solo gigs too because I've got a, an audience out here that I've developed in the past, you know, 20 years here. And, uh, and I want to be able to play music to them. And um and I go places that the grand funk wouldn't go and couldn't go. Okay. But I can go on my own. So uh anyways, uh the uh, third year, ninety-eight, ninety six, seven, and eight, ninety-eight, Don came to my room after a gig one one night, and I was putting in extra time on this grand funk thing because the first year was we were with Punch Andrews, who was Bob Seeger's manager, and
1: Punch didn't Oh, okay, yeah.
0: Yeah, he really didn't do a good job managing us. We only had 14 play dates that whole summer. Oh wow. Yeah, it was like, man, that we're not gonna do anything playing this little bit. Yeah. So we uh moved on. We got with David Fishoff, who did uh the whole Bosnia thing, he, he was responsible for that. And we, we did put a wing on a hospital, a children's hospital in Sarajevo. So uh, with the money and we thank God that we were able to do that. But then when Don came to my room one night and he said, we need to all sign our individual ownership of the trademark into the corporation where it'll have a protective umbrella or, to those. And I Mm -hmm. didn't finish high school and he went to law school. So I figured he knew what he was talking about. I figured he was looking out for the best interest of the band. I was naive. I was gullible and I got taken advantage of because, uh, when they voted me out of the corporation, I'm thinking, how can you vote the guy that wrote 92% of the songs and sang out of the corporation how does that work well they did it and just like a lot of other phony bands that go out and they use the name but it's really not the name it's it's not the band that that formed that name it's the ones who conned the other members into signing away that name and the majority then you know they get to use it and and put the you know put the bad thumb on you but even even though there was all that effort to try and squelch me out of making a living or you know even using the the name that i am largely uh, responsible for making you know that music yeah they, they they couldn't do it because i finally got with a manager who says we need to stop using any anything that's related to Grand Funk Railroad i said how the hell are we going to do that he said Mark Farner's American Band. I went, are you kidding me? He says, let's try it. So we, the Heiden attorney, we made the application and got the Mark Farner's American Band trademark. Awesome. And then Don and Mel sued me, trying to get me to not use it. They went all the way to federal court to the last seven o'clock at night, keeping this guy and and finally, he just uh, uh, we won. I walked out of that, and uh, even though I had to spend a lot of money on the attorneys, I brought my attorneys from New, um, L.A. Yeah. and uh, had to use a Michigan attorney too. So I'm pl- I'm paying you know double there. But then to add insult to injury, I paid one third of their attorney fees to sue me. Oh <laughs> my
1: god because
0: I'm still a shareholder in the corporation. (laughs) Oh, that's... But even as sour as that sounds, I tell you what, Brother Mark, I would get back with those guys on a stage for the sake of the fans, because I'm a music fan. And when all the Beatles were still sucking air, I'm thinking, you dipshits, why don't you just bury the hatchet and get out there for us? just for the fans don't forget about you guys yeah do it for us do it for us and so this is my take and is every time i have a corporate meeting every time i have an opportunity to speak it i speak it why don't we give the people what they want they want to see the band they want to see the real deal yeah they don't want to see a tribute band i don't care how good the tribute band is it's not the real band
1: exactly and you have the opportunity to get the whole band together it's not like it's it's imp- it's not like one of you is, is gone and you can't do it. I mean, it's it's right. feasible. Uh, yep. This all kind of happened after you died twice, right? Yes. What? How did you die twice? I had
0: what they call a bundle branch block, where this branch of nerves did not receive the signal to go, and so my heart just. Eh, Wow. Yeah. Oh my god. Yep. And when I had to come back into the bone suit, I came kicking and screaming. Because once you leave this thing, you realize who you are and you realize you're back where you started from before you hit Earth. Yeah. And, And you know immediately, and you know all things, you know everything. I even had the, I knew the purpose of the earth years in that state of being. Oh, wow. In that tense of being. I mean, you know all things. And there's no debt. Dude, what ruins the human existence is debt consciousness. I agree. And it, because it's accumulative and it's sneaky, it, it starts piling up on you and you're not keeping track of this because you're not, you, nobody has directed your attention to this is what it is. It's just on you and, and you have to perform this. And I'm not talking just financial debt. I'm talking unfulfilled expectations of people on your ass oh. and they'll put you in debt. And if it's somebody in the family and they call somebody and they get those people to, to call you, what are you doing? Uh, how the hell did you find out about know, it? <laughs> like, we are moved around by debt and, and the what's missing is the forgiveness because that's really what love is all about. Love is forgiveness. It is forgiveness embodied. And I know that. And so I try to give that uh, because the word says to, to give with the same measure you expect to be forgiven with. Yeah. You forgive for that same measure. I'm thinking, that's a damn good answer
1: right there. Yes, you know? it is. Not easy.
0: <laughs> no, it is not, Mark. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's the right answer. Yes. But nothing. Do the right answer is never the easy one. That's right. How did you get involved in Ringo Starr's All Star Band?
0: They called uh, David Fishoff, who was doing Ringo's tours a personal friend of mine, you know, rock and roll fantasy camp. Okay. And he asked me if I would like to do a Ringo tour. And I said, yeah, man, absolutely. You kidding me? And then I got a call from Ringo the very next day from Monaco. And he told me, he says, I'm not the drummer on this tour. I said, well, who's drumming? He says, my boy, Zach. And I went, all right, rock
1: and roll. Yeah. (laughs) Zach's awesome. Man, because yeah. that, that, that just sounds like a lot of fun.
0: It was a blast, man. It was really fun. It was great to learn from Randy Backman, him showing me the power G, yeah. showing me chords, the way that he made things. And, and we gave each other, you know, some some leeway to play things. And and he even gave me like a little solo thing in this this thing we were doing. We just kind of made it up. And uh, it was good. It was really good because our hearts were in it, you know, yeah. and, and your hearts are in it and it's together, man. Everybody kind of leans an ear in there and goes, oh yeah. And and to play with Billy Preston, oh. you know, virtuoso. He's doing his part, Mark. He's playing his part. He's singing and he's got the Bible over here reading and doing all this stuff. I don't know how that I didn't practice oh, upside my. down backwards. Yeah. <laughs> But John Entwistle, standing next to John on that stage, and yeah. and uh, he played so loud, it threw my equilibrium off. Whoa. I kid you not, I had to move away from his rig because he would play so loud. Wow. And that's what killed his hearing in the first place. And Ringo would turn around and say, turn that damn thing down. <laughs> <laughs> It hey, poor John. He was a sweet spirited man and his girlfriend Diane, oh my gosh. Every night after the gig, we were there with Hilary Gerard, who was Ringo's uh, personal friend and manager at the time, with John N. Twistle and his girlfriend and and they were drinking uh, Remy Martin. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There it is. And uh and I stayed away from it because uh that that stuff is too strong for me.
1: <laughs> Not a cognac guy. <laughs> uh, no.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm more like
1: uh Pap's blue ribbon. <laughs> oh yeah, the <like> old PBR <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> or Carling's black label.
1: <laughs> so when did, when did you start when did you make the move to Parker guitars? In 96. Okay. I love those things. Those are gorgeous guitars. Yeah.
0: I I got mine from Ken Parker. I had an operation that where they fused uh, C6 and C7, the vertebrates yeah, in right, my neck.
1: Yeah, right there. Yeah.
0: They had to go through the front to get to the back. And the doc, when I, uh, you know, the next day I was waking up out of this stuff and he came in he says, well, now I got to tell you. You can't play. There's no more Telecasters, no more Stratocasters, no more Les Pauls, no more Les Paul Juniors, no Flying Vs. He starts naming all. I said, you are killing me, dude. You've named everything that I'm playing. What are you doing? And he says, nothing more than five pounds. So when I was with Ringo and we were in Tokyo, I went over to Korg. I always go over and see what they've got. I've been a Korg endorser for many many years and uh i always like to you know play around with their stomp boxes see what they've got because you never know what's going to inspire you to write that hit song so i'm over there and they they're playing you know bringing me all the stuff and he says have you ever uh, played a park or fly and i said what is a park or fly i don't know what a park or fly is dude and he goes and he reaches in the other room and he and he pulls out this and he hands it over to me, and when I took a hold of it, my arm went. I
2: went what? <laughs>
0: this is so light. And uh, so after my operation, my mind went right back to that Parker, and I called Ken directly, and I told him I, I needed a, a Parker because I wanted to play, uh, you know, something five pounds, and I want to play U.S. made instruments. Yeah. And there, when he was in Cambridge they made over 30,000 good instruments in 10 years that they were in business there in Cambridge. Those are the good flies and night flies. But uh, the ones after that did not have the fit and finish the way those first 30,000 instruments did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I played a couple of them that were just... Wow!
1: So, what are you playing now? Because what is I see this that one over your left shoulder that wood finished one
0: that yeah that, that looks is crazy. Yeah, that was uh, at uh, PV, They had a guitar called a Mystic, which was that shape, and I said, "Well, what I would I have envisioned is playing that guitar, but I would." like stripes. So I put the black stripes, the racing stripes on there Okay. and I put, uh, the three pickups, I put active pickups in there. So it takes nine volts. And then up in that front horn, you got individual pickup switch on, off and out of phase, oh. on, off, out of phase. So, so you could just make it sound any way you wanted to really That's seriously. Awesome. And, um, uh, so I went to Hartley, Hartley Peavy, I said, and uh, this was like after we had put it together and they're making the guitar, and uh, I said, you know, this is a half half Peavy, half Farner. I said, you know, it's both of our designs, my electronics, my racing stripes and what have you. I said, what do you think of calling it a peener? He he, he just couldn't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. That's the best. Needless to say, (laughs) it was just a joke, you know. (laughs) But he opened his top desk drawer and he showed me his new nine millimeter uh that he had just got. We changed the subject real fast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So speaking of that you the guy that taught Frank Zappa how to shoot a three fifty-seven. Forty four Magnum. Forty four magnum. Magnum. Oh, I, I heard the story wrong.
0: Yeah, he wanted to shoot. He, he said, well, he had told me he never had shot a, a weapon before. And I said, so do you want to shoot a handgun? And he says, if you got a dirty Harry? I said, yes, I do. Nice. <laughs> he said, you stay here. I'll go get it. <laughs> <laughs> and But when I went and got it, I picked up 44 special rounds out of my ammo room Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to, you know, bowl him over with the oil and the, the, you know, I wanted him to enjoy it. And he enjoyed shooting 44 specials out of a model 29 Smith and Wesson. And he he, you know, we, I said, we'll put these targets. He says, I don't want to shoot a target, man. He says, I want to shoot the cans like they do in the movies. I said, okay, we'll put some beer cans out here for you. <laughs> you put them on the hill, and he draws down, and and he did exactly what I told him to do, and he squeezed that trigger and hit that beer can dead nuts right nice. in the center. And he's going, did you see that? And he whips around. We're all ducking, man. Frank gun safety gun safety oh
1: yeah 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 he says <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: exciting moment that is a, exciting
1: that's incredible I've, I've kept you for a while so i wanted to ask you a couple things about what you're doing lately you've got a new dvd coming out
0: yeah is, from it, Ch- with love
1: ah okay so and is that support the veterans uh the Veterans support foundation
0: Yes, brother. Three dollars from each DVD that sells for fourteen ninety nine. It's a great deal. Yeah. sixteen Sixteen uh, live recorded tracks, two bonus videos, and five bonus songs oh, wow. that have never been released like this before. So, yeah. And th- my wife Lisa and I believe so much in the Veterans Support Foundation because I've been working with these guys. Ever since we did the 25th anniversary of the, the monument, the Vietnam Veterans Monument in yeah. D.C., the wall, where I, and the band, we played an entire show for the Vietnam veterans, and not just the U.S. veterans, but our Canadian brothers and sisters, the Vietnam veterans were there as well. Yeah. And that, you know, just being involved with them and knowing their organization, knowing that these guys are real deal veterans, who are serving veterans? Who are helping veterans to readjust when they come home from war? They advocate for them in front of the government board, you know, yeah. so that they get they get what they were contracted for and they get paid. And and uh, so many of them return with uh, a limb or two, or maybe all four missing. Yeah. Uh, so they they really need help, and we found that these guys. There's not a better organization uh, that I know of out there that does what these guys do, and they got it all covered, and they really got heart. They don't take any salary. Nobody gets paid for anything. All the money goes to help our vets. Oh, that's awesome. Brothers and sisters who risk their safety to ensure ours.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the least we can do is, is take care of them when they come home. You got it, buddy. It's the absolute least. We can do, yeah. And you're also you're still writing new music. You've got a beautifully shot video for the song "Never and Always."
0: Thank you. The guy who did the video in Chile, Carlos Toro, uh, he heard the song, and he emailed me and he said, oh, I I see a video when I hear this song. I see a video. He said, can I put it together for you? And I said, yes, (laughs) (laughs) hell yes. Brother, he, and he's such a creative, uh, very uh, expressive, sensitive human being. He, he's a, he's all about love, and his crew is the same way, and we work good together. Uh, so that, and if people go to buy this, they go to markfarner.com to buy it, uh, but while they are uh, waiting for the actual DVD to arrive, you can download The rock and roll soul video free from markfarner.com. It's a free download. Awesome. And they can get a taste of what this live concert is going to be like when they finally get their uh, DVD because it's taken from uh, the the concert there at Teatro Caupalecan in Santiago, Chile. Uh, And it, it represents the music that they're going to hear, but it also put some Americana in there and there's a, there is a Camaro Yes, uh, and it's got the, the American flag over the top. I mean, and, and the uh, Craftsman stars and stripes tools. It's very Americana, but it's all shot in Chile. Wow. And they did a very good job of it.
1: Yes, they did. They did. <laughs> Tell me, now who are you playing with? Who's in the band?
0: From Memphis, Tennessee. Hubert Crawford, uh, and I met Hubert years and years ago in 1997, I think it was. Okay. I met him at a Waffle House. (laughs) The Awful Waffle. (laughs) The Awful House. Yeah. Yeah. And he was playing drums with James Brown at the time. Oh, wow. We were in town doing no, this is uh oh god, I'm trying to think of Montgomery, Alabama.
1: Montgomery, Alabama. I lived an hour and a half away from there. Awesome, I lived way well, down south, southeast, southeast Alabama for almost 10 years. Awesome.
0: Well, this, this they had their street festival, street music, and yep. it was war, grand funk, and James Brown. Wow, dude. It was killer, killer, and killer, man, man. And my son, Jason was on the road with us at that time. And he said to me, as we are leaving and heading back to Michigan in the bus, he looks over, he says, dad, I think Hubert's going to be playing music with you. I said, what, (laughs) what? (laughs) And then man, it happened. And he knows all the songs because Don Brewer was his drum God. So he knows every song, every lick. And uh, it's like, yeah, serendipity pinch pinch me. And I'm using, uh, you know, Hubert's there from, from Memphis, but then I got two guys from Detroit, Bernie Palo, who I met uh, when I was playing with Alto Reed, doing some things. We did some shows for people doing, you know, all-star bands with uh, Dave Mason and Felix Cavalieri and Rick Derringer. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah, Mitch Ryder. You know, we do these all-star things. And Bernie's playing a keyboard for all this stuff. So Detroit boy. And so when it came time for us to uh, get a a new keyboard player, Bernie was the guy. And Paul Randolph, Paul, I met while I was doing the... Alice Cooper sessions, uh, in uh, at the Rust Belt studios in Detroit. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, Paul was playing bass and doing background vocals. And I, I, I liked his bass playing. I liked where he was coming from. I liked the sound of his solid. And I liked the way he followed instructions because Bob Ezrin is a very intense, let me say that again, intense. Yes. Yeah. He's a producer. And yeah, I love his shit, but he is an intense guy. And I experienced that, and I love that about him. And he can pull things out of you that you don't even know exist.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's intense. And then so when we got in playing, you know, we played, and I'm playing with Johnny Bedanjic, uh, you know, who's on the, the drums, and Wayne Kramer from the MC5. Yeah. You know, doing guitar parts. And just being together with these... Detroit, you know, these Michigan people, it was just good. It was really good. And now Paul is in my band and and playing bass, and he's going to be this weekend. We're all going to Ohio on the 15th. We're playing down there, and uh, it's going to be our first gig in over a year, Mark. Man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm hoping you guys can hit the road and and come. I, I live about an hour and a half outside of D.C., so... I'm hoping you guys can come my way because I would love to catch a show. Yes, definitely. Now, so where can people follow you? Is, is there social media presence and and uh, that they can follow and get some more information?
0: MarkFarner.com will get you to to where I'm going to be playing around the country to yeah. to the live shows, and will uh, get you to over to the uh, site to buy Mark Farner's American Band from Chile with Love. And thank you. F- in advance for helping our brothers and sisters our gi's who come home and they need some love let's give them some love exactly mark
1: thank you so much for spending all this time with me and, and these stories were great i've have I, I could literally sit here all night and and, and listen to more <laughs> but i I've got dinner somewhere and I know you've got stuff to do.
0: I'm just thinking that shit's going to be cold.
1: (laughs) I know. I know. Thank you so much. I've I've seriously had a blast. This has been wonderful. you got it, my friend.